Father, I thank you for this opportunity to minister this word to your people, these timeless truths. And Lord, we ask that you would take this word and cause it to bear fruit in our lives. We bring our hearts to you this this morning, this afternoon, and we ask that our hearts would be ready soil to receive from you and that you would have your way, that there would be grace for life change, grace for implementation, grace for whatever it is that you're going to be speaking to hearts right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you happen to be uh, listening to this message. Um, Today I'm going to be speaking on a new season four. It's the fourth and final message in the series entitled A New Season for Us as a Church. And I'm looking forward to sharing this particular message with you. So yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a shorter message and um, I'm excited to share this with you. And uh, this message is based upon a message I heard many, many, many years ago by a prophet And you know those messages where you hear them and they so um, challenge you and it just really uh, speaks deeply to you and you never forget it. I've never forgotten uh, the message that he spoke and this message is taken from what he shared uh, those many, many years ago and uh, it's taken from the same portion of scripture and I trust that it will also minister to you in the same way that it spoke to me um, in its entirety when 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 he ministered to it. Obviously, I've added other things and other scriptures, and it's tailor-made for us in the season that we are in and that we're going into, but the original scripture... Uh, that the his message was based upon is is what my message is based upon. So, fasten your seatbelts and and yeah, enjoy it. Um, Ecclesiastes ten verse eight in the new uh, in the NIV says, "Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake." And the gist of this message is around this. It's around making sure that. We have walls, we have boundaries established in our lives as we go into a new season to protect us from being bitten by the enemy, to protect us from breaking through somewhere where we shouldn't and experiencing consequences from the enemy. It's to protect us from digging a pit and then falling into the thing that we have dug by our sin, by our foolishness, um, by our sins of omission possibly. And so, yes... um, I think that scripture is, it's a great scripture with deep spiritual truths. And the person that we're going to be looking at today, the account in the Bible is, uh, is actually an account of David. We're going to look at David's life. We're going to be looking at David's life when uh, he's reached the pinnacle of his success and he experiences a change of season. We've been talking about changes in season. And, and up till now, the seasons that we've been looking at is when it, the season changes and someone ex, experiences a suddenly of God from a winter into a summer or from a wilderness into a, a promised land or from a, a prison into a place of prominence and influence. We've been looking at that type of change of season, that, that type of suddenly of God. But now what I'm wanting to look at is we're going to look at 
David's life when he goes from the pinnacle of his success, from the pinnacle of his reign and things start to unravel for him. And I want us to glean from David's mistakes and errors to glean from him so that we can build certain walls, certain things into our lives so that we don't make errors that can then result in a change of season for the worse for us. So as we listen to this, that is the gist of, of this message today. What can we learn? What can we implement um, as we come into a new season of fruitfulness? What can we discover from David's life and from his mistakes and um, learn something so that we in our ignorance don't make the same mistakes so that we in our foolishness don't make mistakes and live with certain consequences that we don't actually have to if we just been uh, if we just preempted certain things and set certain things in place. So the scripture where we find the account that I'm going to be discussing today is 2 Samuel 11 from verse 1. And I'm going to read through it and paraphrase some of it um, before I start my message. So, so listen up. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, and verse 2, as we continue reading the scripture, that's when David arose from his bed one night and walked on the roof of his palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and she was beautiful. And so David sends and inquires concerning her and discovers, no, she's, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who happened to be one of his soldiers. And that's when David succumbs to his lust and sends messengers and took her and lies with her and she conceives and becomes pregnant. Um, and we know from this point in the account that David sent for Uriah and he inquired concerning the war and instructed him to go home, hoping, of course, that Uriah would sleep with his wife. But of course he didn't. Uriah didn't go and sleep with his wife. And um, so there wasn't a cover up for this pregnancy. And when David sent for Uriah and said, why didn't you go to your house? Why didn't you go and stay with your wife? Uriah comes back and says to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of David are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? And Uriah, Uriah the honorable man that he was, says, as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And so that basically Uriah's honor, uh, honor basically paved the way for David to decide to have Uriah killed. And we know that's exactly what David did. So David committed adultery and then murder. And because of these sins, the Lord spoke through Nathan the prophet to David. And um, Nathan says to David, thus says the Lord, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. So can you see David has come into the prime. God has given him so much. He's really in a, a season of fruitfulness, of victory, a promised land, so to speak. And the Lord continues in uh, verse 9 of, of, of 2 Samuel 12 and says, 
Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife. Um, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before Israel before the sun. So this punishment follows the crime by suggesting that David's power will be usurped his wives will be taken from him and that's what what happens we know that Absalom takes uh, his father's wives in 2 Samuel 16 verse 21 to 22 and violence and sexual misconduct, um, David's violence and sexual, sexual misconduct uh, will be matched by violence and sexual misconduct in his own household. So these were the consequences of the sin, of David's sin. So the Lord forgave David, but there were consequences that David had to walk in of the sin that he'd committed. So the wall that he broke through, to, so to speak, um, became that became the place where the serpent bit him and his descendants. That The pit that he dug for Uriah was the very pit that he then fell into, his descendants then fell into. So there were consequences. And this is really important for us as we um, live in an era where grace is preached and there is grace, there is absolutely grace, there is forgiveness of sin. There are these things. But we need to remember, if at all possible, that we, uh, we should build up walls and hedges of protection. We should build certain things into our lives to help to prevent us from falling into the enemy's traps, to help to prevent us from sinning. Because although sins are forgiven by God, often there are consequences which remain for us. And I want to challenge you to not carry on sinning if you know that you're sinning because very often there are consequences of these things. God forgives us the sin, but sometimes there are consequences which we have to live in. And these consequences can actually end up um, affecting our children and our descendants. Um, so, so let's rather build proactively in our season of fruitfulness than deal with certain challenges and consequences in a reactionary manner. Okay, so this is the basis, and that, that is my introduction. This is the basis of my message today, wanting, I'm really wanting to encourage us and challenge us to maintain focus in our season of fruitfulness and to build walls and to build certain disciplines into our lives in our season of fruitfulness that will prevent us from falling into certain traps like we see David did, to prevent us from breaking through certain walls and being bitten by the enemy, so to speak. And the first wall that I'm wanting to speak of, the first thing that I'm wanting to challenge us regarding is purpose, is purpose. Are you in your purpose? Being in our purpose and uh, being fruitful in the right direction helps to protect us. There's a form of protection that comes as we're in our purpose. It says in 2 Samuel 11 verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon. But David remained at Jerusalem. In the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, David remained in Jerusalem. And I want to ask you, was David a king? Yes, he was a king. 
It was a time when kings go out to battle. What did David do? He didn't go out to battle. He battled. He remained in Jerusalem. He stepped out of his purpose. He stepped out of his purpose. And because he was not functioning in his purpose, that's when he was walking on his rooftop and he ended up being lured by lust and he ended up sinning. And all of those consequences for him and his descendants happened because he wasn't in his purpose. So I want to challenge us today. Do we understand what God's purpose is for our lives? God has a purpose for each one of us. God has a purpose for us in every season of life that we find ourselves in. Psalm 139 verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So God knows our days. God fashioned us with purpose in mind. We have purpose. And as we walk in purpose, we walk in a certain amount of protection. Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has made us, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not just your pastor, not just your leader, not just your elders, not just your, your parents, not just other people, but you, every single person was recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them every single day. I've been challenged by this every single day. They are good works for me to walk in. And I need to walk in purpose every day, purposefully every day, walking in the works that God has prepared beforehand for me to walk in. You know, each morning and during the, during the day, I'm actually saying, Lord, what are some of the things you would have me do today? What are some of those works you would have me do today? Maybe it's praying for someone. Maybe it's encouraging someone. Maybe it's blessing someone, acts of service here. Maybe it's doing the work that your hands find to do. Maybe it's doing the work in your workplace, you know, but I want to encourage us to be about God's work, to be about the purpose that God has called us to. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 to 5 says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, ordained you a prophet to the nations. You see, the thing that we're not all called and ordained as a prophet to the nations, but the Lord the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And, and before you were born, I, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet. You see, before we are formed, God already knows the purpose for each one of us. Before we were even born, God already knew what he had in mind for us. And I want to ask you today, do you know who he has called you to be? Do you know what he has made you to be? Because if we know who he's called us to be or what he's made us to be, it doesn't matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can still live out who he's made us to be. If he's called me to be an encourager, I can still live out that no matter what circumstances I find myself in, no matter what season of life I find myself in, he's called me to, one who to be one who intercedes and prays for others. doesn't matter where I am. I can do that. I can be stuck in traffic and do that. I can be in the most difficult situation and do that. I can still be who he's called me to be, regardless of where I find myself, regardless of my season of life. I can be in 
seasons of lack, seasons of plenty. I can still be who God has called me to be. I love Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use that in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and so on and so forth. And these are just some examples of some of the things that God has called us to be in his body. And I want to challenge us today. Has he called you as a giver? So give. Has he called you as a pillar, pillar of strength? Be that pillar of strength. Has he called you as a worshiper? Worship. Worship over your family. Worship over your circumstances. Worship over your church, over your leaders, over your workplaces. Has he called you as a mother or a father, naturally or spiritually? Well, be that. Be that in whatever situation he places you in. What grace has he put on your life, especially in this season? Are you walking in that? Are you managing the different graces and hats and callings that you have to wear? Walking in his purpose is protection. I want to ask you another question. To whom has God called you? To whom has he called you? Some people are called primarily to unbelievers. Some people are called to believers, to the church. Some people are called to business people. Some people are called to children, to youth. Who, to whom has he called you? Romans 15, 16 that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is Paul speaking. He was called primarily to the Gentiles, and he knew to whom he was called. I love his clarity. Listen to Galatians 1, 15 to 16. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And so he continues, but to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul, very clear who, what his message is and to whom he was called to minister it, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. They, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. So there was a sphere or a metron, there was a dimension to which he was called. And I want to ask you today, what sphere, to what sphere has God called you? And if you know what sphere he's called you to, are you preparing for that if you're in a season of preparation? Are you stepping out in that? Because even in seasons of preparation, we can still step out. And when we are in a season of fruitfulness, are we actually walking in the fullness of what God has called us to in the spheres that he's called us to? You know, that is protection that forms a protection we're busy with our hands doing what god called called us to do is protection around getting uh, from getting sidetracked and tempted by other things do you know what god's purpose is for you right now 
And I want to encourage you with this scripture, Mark 1 verse 35 to 38. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out, departed to a solitary place. This is Jesus. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I, may, that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. I love this scripture. It especially ministered to me when I had little kids and they would follow me everywhere. And I, you know, you, when you even go to the bathroom and it's like they want to follow you into the bathroom and it's, they're just following you everywhere. And sometimes in life we go through seasons like that where we just needed all the time by people. I'm not talking about by children. I'm talking about by people we needed. And this is also a picture of when you're in a season of fruitfulness, everyone is looking for you. Everyone wants you. There are things opening up left, right and center lots of business or lots of ministry opportunities or lots of platforms or the people want you the people need you and you're feeling pulled and and we have to remember that we can't be led by need we have to be led in principle by purpose I love what Jesus responded to his disciples in the scripture when they said everyone is looking for you and he says to them uh we're actually going into the next towns because that's my purpose he understood what his purpose was. He understood his purpose for that day. That even though everyone was looking for him, even though his ministry was booming, even though there were platforms, even though there was lots that he could do and there was need, that wasn't his purpose right then. The father had spoken to him. He needed to move on to the next town because that was his purpose. And so it's so important that we're walking in our purpose, that we understand what our purpose is, that we get our marching orders from God the Father in heaven and not from the needs that we see around us. So important we understand our purpose. So important we understand what season it is. For David, it was a time when kings go to war and he remained behind. He stepped out of the purpose for that season. What season is it for you? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. What season is it for you? What time is it for you? What purposes is God calling you to walk in at this time? I love 1 Chronicles 12 verse 32 and the picture that it paints of the sons of Issachar. It says the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That understanding of the times. We have to have understanding of the times very often to know what we ought to do. And in this particular context, the context was war. So they needed to know what to do because it was wartime. So, so yeah, that's important. I want to ask you, are you doing what you should be doing in this season? Are you doing what you should be doing? You know, if it's a season to plow and to sow seed, if it's a springtime and it's a season to plow and sow seed, and we do not plow and sow seed, there will be no harvest to harvest come summer and, and harvest time. You, what we choose to do and what we choose to not do matters. It matters. We can't come into harvest time and cry out that God is not faithful and is not providing for us. Or God is not faithful and not coming through for us when we are the ones who didn't plant seed when it was time to plant seed. And the thing is that sometimes we procrastinate and we put off making decisions to do certain things. And we think because we, it's not that we're choosing to not do it. We're just 
in a place of waiting before we actually choose to do it, if you're following me, and we become deceived into thinking that we're not being disobedient because we're just taking our time. We're just procrastinating to do what we know we ought to do. But I want to challenge us today that by not making a decision when it is time to do so has the same consequences as choosing disobedience. It has the same consequences as choosing to not do what we should do. So by me folding my hands and waiting and just not stepping out and doing what I should do, it has the same consequences as me flat out refusing to do it. And so it's important that we step out and do what God has told us to do in the season that he's told us to do it in. Amen. The first wall that we need to build up, the first thing that I'm wanting to challenge us regarding is purpose and being in our purpose and being in the right purpose in the right season. The second thing that I'm wanting to challenge us regarding is people. So the first one is purpose. The second one is people. 2 Samuel 11, it says, in verse 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings got a battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, and David remained at Jerusalem. So David's first mistake was that he stepped out of his purpose and remained behind. And his second mistake was that he sent his people out of his life and away from his private life. He sent the people out who would actually challenge him because like that prophet once said in his message, Joab was the one person who could challenge David. He would have said, David, what are you doing? You know, and we need those people around us who will challenge us and who know what we're doing, first of all. And secondly, who will challenge us and say, what are you doing? Get back in line. You cannot do that. So David sent Joab out and people out of his private life. There was no accountability there. And that's when he ended up falling. So I want to challenge us today. Do we have God-fearing people around us who really know us? And I'm not talking about having revealing our private lives to every single person we meet. No, I'm saying we need to at least have one, two, three people who really know us and who we are honest with in our lives about where we're really at and the temptations of our hearts. Um, do we have God-fearing people around us who know what is going on in our lives and in our hearts, who understand our weaknesses, who understand our proclivities? You see, when we hide parts of our lives from God-fearing friends, from those people who know and understand what's going on in our lives, in effect, we are sending them out of our lives. In effect, we're sending them out. I might not physically send them out, but in my heart, I can close off certain um, areas in my heart and I choose to not be accountable and honest with those people. And so in effect, I'm sending them out. And, and this is really important. We all need accountable relationships around us. People who will hold our feet to the flame. People will say, what are you doing? You know, I, I remember there was a season in our lives where, or in my life, where we actually had accountability triplets where we met. And, and Pastor Vim was one of my accountability partners, actually. And we wrote out questions um, 
to, that we wanted our accountability partners to ask us areas that we were struggling in, that we wanted to be held accountable in. So powerful. It was before I was married. And that is so incredibly powerful to have those types of friends who will hold you and ask you hard questions. And we met uh, regularly and we would be asked those particular questions and we had to give account of where we were really at. And yes, it might seem, you know, scary, but when you, when you build relationships, covenant relationships where you loved unconditionally, those are assets to have that we actually need to use. And we need to be able to be honest and say, this is where I'm really at. This is where I'm struggling. Please, can you ask me these hard questions? You know, in our in my marriage relationship, I'm really blessed. My husband is my best friend. And those are some of the things that we talk about at a deep level. We hold each other accountable. And that is so important. It's so important to have those people in our lives. And one step further to actually engage regarding the hard um, questions engage regarding the areas of weakness um, so that we can be held to account because we choose how much we reveal of ourselves to people and in church especially today where many people just come in and warm the seats and leave and they're not deep relationships always that are formed in the church it's easy to hide to hide behind your nice outfits, to hide behind your smile, your good manners on a Sunday. But church must be and spiritual growth results from deeper relationships where people get in our lives, get in our face and are able to challenge us. And so I'm wanting to ask you today, what do you need to repent of and do differently in this regard? Do you have those people in your life, one person, two people, where they know what is going on in your life right now spiritually, where they're aware of your weaknesses and where they can hold you to account. And let's face it, if you do not have those people and you do not want those people, it's probably because you're walking in compromise in an area in your life. It's because you're walking in compromise or it's because you've been wounded and you need to be healed of, wound, healed of that wounding in order to trust again. Because these are the types of covenant relationships that God actually desires us to walk in. They, when they are truly from God, when God brings these people into our lives, they're a gift to cause us to grow, to provoke growth in us. They're desirable to have. I want to have more of these relationships in my life. And yes, we pray for these people. We have to pray and ask God for these people. And we have to trust God that he will bring the right people into our lives. But when he does, we have to take that step of faith and be willing to be open and be willing to be vulnerable and, and actually invite these people and let these people into our lives. You know, so important. I want to challenge you today. Do you avoid relationships with other people in your church community? Because if you avoid relationships, there's something unhealthy there. There's something that needs, you need God to heal you maybe. You need to reach out and be friendly. If you feel like people aren't friendly around you, reach out and be friendly. You know, maybe it's about praying and asking God strategically for people to build with. If you haven't seen someone to build with, you know, if you reveal different parts of your story to different people in your church as a form of self-protection, so no one ever really knows you or your story, there's something that's not quite right there. You know, as pastors, we see this. We see this in, in certain people where they, 
get counseling from this person, but they tell this part of their story to that person. Then they get counseling from that person as well, but they reveal that part of their story for, to that person and so on and so on. It's a form of self-protection. So no one ever really knows the full story, the full picture. They feel like they're protecting themselves from rejection. Maybe, I don't know, but it's unhealthy. We have to be able to take a step and go deeper with people and be held accountable so important 1 John 1 verse 5 to 7 says this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin you see there's an element of walking in the light that is required for full, for full healing to happen. The reality is that there are levels of healing in our soul, in our souls, which will only fully come to fruition when we have fellowship, true fellowship with one another. When we say, this is me, when we, are, when we open up our lives and say, this is who I really am, when we walk in the light and the blood of Jesus has the opportunity to cleanse us and where we have fellowship with one another, that's where true healing, true healing happens in true community. Romans 12 verse 4 to, 4 to 5 says, for, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I think there's a revelation of being members of one another that the body of Christ has yet to come into. Members of one another. We belong to one another. We are there for one another to build each other up, to perform different functions. I can perform something that you can't. You perform something that I can't. We're members of one another. And we belong to one another. And so coming to church on a Sunday and having a great experience and experiencing God at a vertical sort of level, one, me and God, and then walking out and having a personal life change and a personal encounter with God is wonderful. But that's not the fullness of what God has for his church. Church is not the building. You know, people love to say, welcome to the house of God, like the house of God is the building that we are meeting in. That's not biblical. That's unbiblical. The house of God is the people of God. We are the stones, the living stones of God that are being built and fit together to be a dwelling place of God in Christ, of his Holy Spirit. We belong to one another. Church is meant to be so much more than just come and experiencing God on a one-on-one -on -one basis, like a vertical basis. It's so much corporate worship. It's so much more than me coming and having my quiet time in the presence of the rest of the church. Corporate worship, that is not corporate worship. That singing songs that are all about I and my and me and my God and my heart and ministering to me and my Jesus, that is not corporate worship. Corporate worship is we. We are entering in us hour we are going in it's a thing we do together it's not a private a time for private your private quiet time that you do at home when it's you and God corporate worship there's a corporate anointing it's about so much more than that and church is so much more than just Sundays and Sunday meetings we belong to one another there's something that we have for each other that is beyond a Sunday meeting and we need to step in and tap into this 
uh, this next level. I think people, the people around us are so important. You know, Hebrews 10 verse 24 to 25 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You know, that is so important that we can do in corporate meetings, in small group meetings. And outside of that, church is so much bigger than our corporate meetings. But listen to what Hebrews says, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Corporate meetings and corporate gatherings are important. Gathering together in our homes, in our small groups, it's so important when we don't do these things. By not doing them, we are in effect sending people out of our lives. And in Gauteng, busy Gauteng, it is so common. We see this in our church corporate meetings. We see this in our small groups where people attend once every number of weeks, you know, maybe once every six weeks they come to a corporate service. I don't know what they do all other five, the five other weeks, but the Bible says that we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Sometimes I guess it's just a habit after COVID, you know, it's much easier just to chill at home in pajamas, eating breakfast on the couch, watching the service. But the Bible encourages us and actually instructs us to do more than that, to not forsake the gathering together, not forsake the gathering together. That means that I plan my Sunday around church, around gathering together. I can't wake up and like, ah, oh, you know what? I feel like going out for breakfast or, ah, oh, you know what? It's not going to work today because no, I prioritize it. That's the people. I build the relationships with the people that are, that are in my congregation, that are in the body of Christ that God has called me to build with. So important. When we don't do so, we are effectively sending these people out of our lives and removing ourselves from fellowship. And like I said earlier on, we might not be uh, intentionally choosing to send people out, but by not doing what we should be doing, we end up sending people out of our lives. So, so let's, I want to encourage us, let's be proactive, let's be intentional about building relationally with God, with those God has put in our lives to build relationally with. And the third wall that I'm wanting to talk about today, so the first, remember, was purpose. The second was people. And the third is the presence, the presence of God. And in the same scripture, 2 Samuel 11, when they're talking to David and telling David from verse 10, no, Uriah didn't go down to his house. And Uriah uh, responds and tells David why he didn't go down to his house um, to sleep with his wife. He says, verse 11, the ark, which represents the presence of God, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord David are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? I will not do this thing. What does that tell you? That tells you that David sent the Ark of the Covenant out to the open fields while he remained in Jerusalem, whilst he remained in, his, in the king's um, house, in the king's palace. So he, that was his third mistake. He sent the presence of God away. Now, he probably didn't think about it as sending the presence of God out of his life. He just did what should have happened. Like he did what was convenient. Now the ark must go with my soldiers. They're going to war. And 
See, sometimes we don't specifically choose to send the presence of God out of our lives, but we refrain from doing what we know we ought to do. And so by not doing what we should do, we end up sending the presence out of our lives. You see, when we, when we don't spend time daily in the Word, when we don't spend time daily in prayer, when we don't spend time with others who will encourage our relationship with God, when we don't um, ensure that we're growing spiritually, making sure we're getting enough of the right stuff in our lives, we end up sending the presence out of our lives. You see, no one else is responsible for my prayer life but me. My husband is not responsible for my prayer life. My husband, as my pastor, is not responsible for me reading the Word of God. I am responsible for this. My pastor is not responsible to make sure I am discipled. I am primarily responsible for making sure I'm getting the right stuff. I need to go before God and say, Lord, what areas are you wanting to disciple me in? Let me find resources and make sure I am being discipled. Yes, we know ultimately before God, pastors are responsible in some way for this. But we can't sit back and fold our arms and say, well, I'm not responsible for my spiritual growth. No, we, are all, we all have to take responsibility for our spiritual growth, for our relationship with the Lord, for cultivating the presence of God in our lives, for walking in obedience to God, for not sinning against our God, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. I am responsible for that. You are responsible for that. You see, greatness is hidden in our daily routine. I don't even remember who said that. My husband has said it so many times, he's quoting it. But greatness is hidden in daily routine. I want to ask you today, what does your daily routine look like? Does it include enough of spiritual disciplines that if nothing changed in your daily routine, it would still facilitate greatness, the greatness you imagine for yourself? Because I can tell you right now that if your daily routine does not include the bare minimum of spiritual disciplines to sustain the greatness that you envisage for yourself, likely you will not achieve that greatness that you envisage for yourself. Or when you achieve it, you may end up being tripped up and fall, and fall like David did. We have to make sure on a daily basis that we incorporate enough spiritual disciplines into our lives to cultivate the presence of God, to cultivate our spiritual growth. That if nothing changes in my daily routine, it actually doesn't matter. I can still achieve greatness. And I, I, the, my daily routine is fine as a foundation to sustain that. It's so important. You know, would you feel comfortable if someone you admire spiritually, someone you emulate, saw exactly what you did on a daily basis, um, your level of prayer, your level of devotion to the Lord, your level of walking in obedience to the Lord, your level of discipleship. Would you feel comfortable if they saw that? Because if you don't feel comfortable, then something needs to change. There needs to be a fear of God that kicks into us on an individual in an individual capacity. Are you cultivating growth in personal prayer? Are you cultivating a lifestyle of fasting? Are you cultivating worship and your relationship with the Lord? You know, this is so important that we look at our lives and we're strategic about this. We have to be strategic. We have to be see growth in these things. So important. Some people think that relationship with the Lord is only vertical. But He actually requires us to be connected 
to a local church and to be planted and active in a local church, not forsaking the gathering of the believers. And our being active in the local church also helps us to grow in these spiritual disciplines. It helps us to be fed and to um, be more uh, to be more discipled and to be active in the gifts that God has given us. So these three things that I'm speaking about today, purpose, people, and presence, are all interlinked. They all feed into each other and feed off each other. You know, when I go to church, I'm like, Lord, is there someone you're wanting to minister today? Is there a word you're wanting me to give? And most often because I'm behind the keyboard or because I'm at the front and I have the microphone, it's general prophetic words. But before I even was a pastor and a leader in church, whenever I went to a corporate gathering, very often I would say, Father, please, would you give me a word? Give me a word for at least one person. Just let me be an encouragement to, to at least one person. Why? Because that's how he's gifted me and graced me. There's prophetic on my life. And what is the prophetic about, especially the simple gift of prophecy? It's about exhorting, encouraging, comforting, edifying, you know? So say, Lord, give me a word. for, And he would, often about three people. I would have an opportunity to step out and be a blessing, to step out and Number one, it's my purpose. Number two, it's cultivating my relationship with God because I'm having to hear and listen what he's saying. It's cultivating a sensitivity to him. And number three, it's helping to build relationships within the body that God has planted me. It's being a blessing to those that God has put around me. So let's get active in our local churches. Let's use the gifts and the graces that God has given us in our local churches in whenever we're interacting with people. And you know what? It doesn't only have to be in a corporate setting or in a small group setting. It can be picking up the phone. It can be WhatsApping, texting someone and encouraging them. This is so important. John 15 verse 1 to 4 says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears, bears fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. See, the thing is, walking, cultivating the presence of God is this. It's about this. It's about abiding in him. And as we go into a season of fruitfulness, to bear fruit and fruit that remains and to continue bringing forth fruit, we have to remain in Him. We have to remain abiding in Him. You know, often as things get busier and busier and we get doing, doing more and more and more and there's lots of fruit and there's lots of things that we need to do, prosperity, fruitfulness, busyness, you know, we tend to forget about the abiding part. And unfortunately, the fruit can then end up drying up or becoming uh, uh, not juicy and not uh, becoming dry because we're not connected to the vine anymore. So I want to encourage us as we go into this new season to remember that abiding in Him, cultivating our relationship with Him, His presence is so important for fruitfulness and to ensure greater fruitfulness and longevity of that fruit. And the beautiful thing is John 15, 16 a, Jesus says, you did not cho choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So God desires for us to bring forth fruit. And so we will bring forth fruit in our season, but we have to remain connected to the vine, to Jesus. We have to remain in his presence. And I'm wanting to encourage us that 
The word is needed for fruitfulness. You know, as we think about cultivating his presence, some people are really powerful. Prayer warriors, awesome, getting into prayer. There's a grace to pray. We can pray and pray and pray, you know, but we also need the word. The word is also important. In Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That brings forth its fruit in its season. If we want to be fruitful in our season of fruitfulness, if we don't want our leaves to wither, if we want what we apply our hands to, to prosper, we need to spend time meditating in the word of God. The word of God is required to sustain for sustained fruitfulness. The word of God is also needed to sustain us through difficult times. Summertime, there can be times of difficulty and in life, there are definitely times and seasons of difficulty. Listen to the scripture from Psalm 119, verse 92 to 93. Because your words are my deepest delight, I didn't give up when all else was lost. I can never forget the profound revelations you've taught me, for they have kept me alive more than once. God's word is so important for us through all seasons of life. And you know, just as we're entering the season of building as a church. We're entering, many of us, we're entering a new season. I feel like this, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, arise and eat for the journey ahead is long. Arise and eat for the journey ahead is long. This is about digging into the word of God. This is about ensuring that we cultivate his presence in our lives by remaining in the word. And the scripture that I'm wanting to remind us of is Elijah. Remember Elijah when Elijah just confronted the prophets of Baal and he'd actually experienced a victory. The Lord had revealed himself um, as God to the prophets of Baal and Jezebel had then threatened Elijah and Elijah ran in fear from her. And this is where we actually find him where the Lord uses this phrase, arise and eat because the journey is too great. He is in the wilderness and um, an angel comes to him and says, Arise and eat. And there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down to sleep again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. And so he arose and he ate and he drank. And it says in 1 Kings 19 verse 48 that uh, this, that's where this is from. But it says that he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. You see, we need to have a Bible reading strategy. We need to, we need to have an idea of uh, each day when we're going to eat. What are we, we going to eat? You know, are we reading or studying uh, by theme? Are we reading by book? Are we, how are we studying and going deeper in the word of God? How are we feeding ourselves? Because it's a season to arise and eat for the journey is great. The journey is long and God wants to ensure that we have enough spiritual food to sustain us for the season that he's taking us into. What is your Bible reading strategy? When, what time do you read the word each day? 
What, what are you reading in the Word of God? How are you ensuring that you are feeding yourself beyond what you hear on a Sunday message? Are you taking the Sunday message and going deeper in that? Or are you doing something else? I want to challenge you to have a Bible reading strategy, a Bible reading program in order to ensure that you are sufficiently fed. You know, in the life um, of King David, we see that him stepping out of his purpose, we see that him sending uh, the people that he, he, he would have been accountable to, he sent them out of his life. We see that sending the presence of God out of his life, him, him doing those three things, in effect, broke down hedges of protection around his life. In effect, he broke down those walls and he was bitten by a serpent. In effect, him doing those things was like digging a pit that he ended up falling into. And this ended in um, innumerable, innumerable consequences for his family and his descendants after him. Yes, he was forgiven. God forgave him. Yes, God actually you raised up a, a, an heir to the throne from David through Bathsheba. That's just the grace of God. But despite that, there were still consequences that he had to face. And I'm wanting to encourage us as we go into this new season to remain focused, to run with endurance the race that is set before us, to keep the main thing the main thing. Remember our humanity. Remember that greater men than us have fallen. Remember that we need God. We need Him for fruitfulness. We need His presence. We need certain guardrails in our lives, certain walls to be built up intentionally in our lives for our own protection. So that as we go into a season of fruitfulness, as we go into this long journey, this, this summer, um, the busyness, the prosperity, that we're protected, that we are kept, so to speak. Um, and I want to encourage us with, with one last scripture before I close from Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 from the message translation. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned, on, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I love that phrase. The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is Jesus speaking. You see, when we live by a set of rules, when we live by a whole lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts, when we live by religion, we get burned out, we get weary, we get tired. As we go into a time of much fruitfulness, let's, be, be, let's resolve in our hearts to walk with Jesus, to work with Jesus, to watch how He does it, to walk in relationship with Him, that presence of God, to, to learn His unforced rhythms of grace, grace, and know that in our time of fruitfulness, in our season of growth and busyness, He's not going to lay anything ill-fitting on us. As long as we keep company with Him, we learn from Him, we're walking in constant relationship with Him, we'll live freely and we'll live lightly. 
Because you see, it's easy to grow weary and burned out when we do a whole lot for him. When we're running, 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 and we're not feeding ourselves. We haven't fed ourselves for the journey. We need to walk with him, to eat from his hand, to, to learn his unforced rhythms of grace. And then we will, we will run our races with endurance. Amen. So in conclusion, I want to encourage us. Let's make sure we're in God's purpose for our lives. Let's make sure we have people around us who we're accountable to, who really know us, into me see, who really do see into our hearts, who we allow into our lives, who can challenge us and help us to walk on the straight and narrow. And let's cultivate God's presence in our individual lives and have a strategy to do this, walking with Jesus so that we can be protected as we go into this next season in our church and in our lives. Amen. Let's bow our heads. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to challenge you this morning and ask you this question. What commitments do you want to make before God in terms of bringing a change in any of these areas that I've mentioned, either in walking in your purpose, either regarding the people that you're allowed to walk in close proximity to you or to cultivating the presence of God in your life. And as you think about that, and as you bring that before God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to pray with you. Father, we come before you today. Lord, you see our lives. You see our hearts. You see where we're really at. And today, Lord God, you see your people and the commitments that they're wanting to make to you. And so, Father, Whatever place it may be, whether it's purpose, people, presence, whichever of these, all of these, one of these, two of these, really pray for your grace to make the requisite changes required. We pray that you would help us to step into new seasons, walking with you, learning from you, the unforced rhythms of grace, walking in our purpose, walking with people in our lives, walking with your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.